You are listening to Innovate at Open, stories from the cutting edge of technology innovation rooted in open source software and collaborative processes. I'm your host, Gordon Half. Hi, everyone. This is Gordon Half, technology evangelist with Red Hat. And today I'm here down at All Things Open in Raleigh with Matt Broberg, who's the technical editor of opensource.com. And we're here today to talk about developer relations. Welcome, Matt. Thanks so much, Gordon. I'm excited to dig in. Let's start with something pretty basic. What the heck is a developer relations? I wish that was as basic as you asked, but uh, to attempt to put it into a quick summary, developer relations is an organizational unit, a business unit, that is tasked with relating to developers. I think that's the quickest way to summarize it. Uh, You might hear job titles of people in DevRel, as we call it, that are developer advocates or uh, developer experience engineers. So there's a number of nuanced roles that end up falling into it, but it is a bit of a new definition of an organizational unit. And there's a lot of discussion on whether that rolls into one of the traditional ones or if it lives on its own. But yeah, DevRel's a thing. You'll see job titles for it all over, but exactly how it fits is very much up for discussion. How is this morphed from where we were historically? Because obviously companies like Red Hat, Microsoft, and others have certainly had developer programs for a very long time. Are things different today? I think they're wildly different. My understanding of the history of this is we had this sort of rise of the developer evangelists in the technology space, these people that were on stage speaking, and other companies started to notice the impact these people had to the Uh, association with the brand, the excitement around the open source projects around the brand. Uh, And with time, evangelism became less of the goal and it was more advocacy around participation in either the open source or even closed source communities of a given project. Uh, So developer relations, the need for it has risen out of the uh, inability for the traditional marketing and traditional product manager to relate to a developer and be able to communicate in their language the sort of value they'll get from using certain technologies. So I think of it kind of similar to how DevOps has risen uh, out of the need for a dev and ops to communicate differently. I do think of DevRel as something that the product management side of the house and the marketing side of the house are trying to find this new need and DevRel is filling it. So if somebody is doing DevRel or somebody's thinking about, oh, what Matt just talked about, that sounds sort of like something I might want to do. How should they expect to spend their days? Day will very much depend on talking to the team that's hiring you about what it is and looking at the job description closely. Uh, DevRel does seem to be a catch-all for a lot of different things in the developer community. So for some organizations, that means really hitting the talking circuit and being at a lot of the uh, most innovative and uh, highly networked events around the industry and whatever vertical you're in. We're at all things open. You'll find a lot of DevRel folk in the open source community here. And that's a big part of it. Writing articles and other kinds of content, creating podcasts like we're doing now, uh, those are some of the outputs that tend to be measured. Others, it's it's more about code contribution and being a shepherd of a 
particular community. Like, say you're a subject matter expert in Python, and we're, our project requires uh, a Python SDK, and we're looking to get more Python adopters. You being the person that speaks to that and contributes to the code and helps curate that contribution um, is kind of more of the core facet. So I, I wish I could give you a solid single definition, but I can tell you for sure you need to talk to somebody about what it is, and you'll do some weird but wonderful combination of speaking and listening and coding and not coding. One of the things you said I think does talk to some of the background people who might go into DevRel is you're suggesting that for some, they might be doing quite a bit of coding, which obviously implies a certain interest in and probably some degree of technical background, whereas there's other people with DevRel who really don't consider themselves technical. That's a really good note. I, I tend to look at it as something where uh, coding, if that is the core part of your responsibility when I when I design a DevRel organization, which I've done a couple times, it comes to finding that right mix of coding and talking. But for many organizations, they just need somebody who can talk to somebody who is a developer. And that has a lot more to do with your knowledge of the community, knowledge of the ecosystem, and less to do with how much you time you spend uh, pushing code to GitHub or GitLab. And I really appreciate that. So there's no gatekeeping here. Regardless of your background, you can be inside uh, in DevRel. Uh, you may need to learn some of that sort of software background to participate. But it's really, are you able to participate and communicate uh, to the degree that aligns to whatever your business needs out of a developer relations organization? You mentioned measurement and passing a uh, minute or two back. And you guys gave a talk here about uh, measurement and metrics, and uh, I'm an evangelist role myself, you know, fairly different from a developer relations role, but I have struggled with that same issue of metrics and measurement, and part of it is that the stuff that is easy to measure is often the stuff that isn't very important, and you hope it's a proxy for something that's important, but is really challenging, whereas a metric of how much do developers respect us as a company, well, you can do surveys and the like, but that's still kind of a hard thing to really suss out. Yeah, finding the soul between the numbers is always this thing. I, I just keep trying to struggle with it because it's fun and it's hard. But the way I approach it these days is like I think of the different things we could measure, the sort of tally marks and peanuts that we're counting. That's raw data that we're going to feed into something. But when we're communicating our value, that's actually a business mo motion. So we have to talk about what metric, which tends to be an aggregate metric, something where, that is providing more value than just, say, the number of talks I've given. It's, I think, the number one thing that somebody in a DevRel or evangelist-type role uh, as well, it's the stories you can tell after. Who have you influenced? What did they do with that information? What is something that happened that wouldn't have happened if you participated? Uh, that's sort of like telling that angle, which is not measurement. The core measurements, there's a couple that we can talk through that are really fascinating, but I, I think at the basis of it, there there isn't a standardization. There's a need to know what you're being measured against and whether that is how many people show up to your talks or how many people are contributing code to your open source project. Uh, and I've seen both, and they're both valid DevRel. They're just wildly different needs. I think historically there has been this uh, real kind of tension or conundrum in perhaps particularly open source, although it's certainly not exclusively uh, oriented towards open source, towards looking at things like how many times has something been downloaded, for example, which as you've been super easy to measure 
and probably indicate something if the number is zero. That's kind of bad no matter how you slice it. But it also doesn't really tell you, for example, how much is being used, how engaged the users are, and so forth. I, I really love this point, Gordon, because I, I don't think data has an opinion. Uh, and like we imply a lot of opinion from data. So downloads, for example, you're like, all right, well, is downloads good? Um, probably yes, uh, to some degree. Maybe it's bad if it has to do with like if people have to keep re-downloading the same thing in order to get it to run. Uh, it might be actually a problem with your your upstart for whatever project you're working on. Um, so I tend to think of downloads in some sort of time series. So it's like downloads per day or downloads per week, downloads per individual. How many unique downloads can we have? And now we're getting to like, data and like parsing it in a way where we can tell a story behind it. Because data on its own is just kind of the raw bits. Uh, and the stories can actually be really harmful if we don't use it in the right way. A, a more common example, people talk about page views because a lot of us create content. So how many page views are you getting from what you're doing? Page views feels really vain. It's a vanity metric at its, at its heart, but, but it can be a really good standard if other organizations you work with use page views in a way. So I can say uh, when I write an article on opensource.com, I can get 10,000 page views to the right audience of developers, but we may have to spend, let's say, $5,000 to get that syndicated to an expensive platform that we're paying for. Well, my free path is at meeting that same measurement. Okay, now I'm talking about business value. I'm adding value by writing here as opposed to money funneling there. And I think it's when we can find that comparison point that we go from a kind of raw and maybe uncomfortable, maybe seemingly useless metric to something that's like that data is transforming into a metric that will add value. And as you mentioned, time series changes over time can also be very valuable because whether whatever you think about page views, for example, as a metric, if it is going up steadily month to month, quarter to quarter, year to year, that is probably a good thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, and and fitting into that larger narrative of like, what's changing? Why is it changing? Can we find that if we push something, if we poke this, that it goes up or down so that we can test our causality with that change? That's kind of fun too, but that's pretty advanced. I think it, it really does count, come down to like, can you measure the things that are worth measuring? And then can you find the metric that people are actually going to care about? One thing, you know, a pitch, they don't pay me to do this, but uh, Bitergia is like the place to get your data in there for everything from Slack and Discourse to GitHub, GitLab. Um, it all aggregates it and starts to identify individuals and see their path through your community. So actually seeing the correlation of data is easier than ever with the tooling. Uh, the storytelling is just as hard as it's always been. We have to keep doubling down there. And that's why I, I keep like talking to people like yourself about it. Yeah, it, it does seem in general, we have the data points in general now, and we know how to correlate them and things like that. As you say, you can still risk over applying certain types of vanity metrics, as you put, like uh, GitHub stars and that kind of thing. But we do at least have that data, so we at least have a baseline where we can be thinking about how to measure effectiveness and how to really kind of direct people so they are more effective and take actions in that way. There's a, a wonderful phrase of just be careful what you measure because if you uh, if you incentivize it, you will achieve it, uh, which means that 
that even though these metrics, these data points are a proxy for some sort of value, uh, like GitHub stars, my understanding for many is that it's a proxy for popularity, and popularity is a proxy for monetization, that I can make some money on this if there's a lot of people that star it. Um, but if you start focusing just on stars, it's not going to necessarily correlate with the monetization. You still have to have that understanding of like what's the business flow to make money, because open source is not a business model, as we're well aware. So understanding like the flow all the way through from the raw data you're using to the the uh, the outcome you're presuming, um, we all have a responsibility to kind of really uh, inspect that and take the time to understand the impact. Well, going back to the downloads, for example, if you're really focusing on downloads, and you certainly saw that a number of years back in a lot of cases, and if you sort of make that your metric of success, then the answer is, well, we advertise and let people know and encourage them to download and give them gift cards if they download and everything, and then our job is done. Nailed it. Yeah, you're done. Uh, yeah, so exactly. And um, so I, there's kind of a corollary to that. Like the bad of that is like you can start to get kind of, uh, you can miss the soul of it. You can miss that people want to be happy about what they're downloading. They're not downloading it because they're pissed off. Uh, like there's a nuance there of like um, their emotional state as they do so that you can't really grab there. So the question is like, how do we pivot our metrics to start representing happiness as opposed to just raw downloads? The other thing is, Maybe you're right. Maybe if downloads are a great metric, like maybe you go to fewer conferences and save the money and like give out some gift cards. Like that's a valid uh, strategic move based on data informing it. And that's why data can be very informative, but it can't choose for you. The data doesn't have an opinion on your strategy. Like you have to have that. So there's, there's a lot of work to be done in our space to inform and share common models that are working because all models are wrong. But some of them are quite useful, and it helps us communicate value in the same way a sales can talk about their sales qualified leads leading to closes. Like, we need that in community work that leads to happiness as well. Yeah, there is the idea of the funnel, if you would, with developer relations as well. If everybody knows about your product, project, software, well, maybe building awareness isn't something you need to focus on, but maybe they all are aware of it, but they're also aware of how horribly hard it is to use, and maybe in that case, you should be focusing on documentation, training seminars, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny because anyone who's done this for a bit, like, we all know the right things to do. It's, the question is, can you justify it with your model? Uh, so absolutely, I think applying a sort of marketing funnel strategy to this. Um, Mary Thingval, who wrote the book on uh, DevRel as a business model, uh, is super brilliant. And she's talking a lot about developer uh, DevRel qualified leads or community qualified leads. So same sort of idea of like having a single unit of measure of handing off individual contacts throughout the business. I think it's a really cool metaphor that we might want to use strategically to be able to say like, hey, this is who we bring in. And sometimes we hand them to recruiting to get hired. And sometimes they go to sales and sometimes they go to products. Um, but it's it's like that's the unit of measure. So maybe that's part of the answer. I'm not totally sure right now, but I do know it's going to be unique to your business. I think there is sometimes a discomfort with these kind of metrics because I think for many of us, our first reaction is, oh, look, we're talking at a conference, we're writing a lot, 
just trust us. We're doing good things out there. And and the fact of the matter is, is we don't all focus too much on the page views instead. So finding that, I think, called it the soul in between those is really the challenge. Yeah, the soul between the data points is really hard to capture. And I am, if I could, I would completely drop all this data hunting stuff that I like to do, even though it's kind of fun for me, and just focus on the soul stuff, like the things where somebody feels included and loved and cared for, and that it's part of their identity to be part of a community. But I've seen time and time again, when you focus just on that, you end up losing funding. It's just a fact of business, you know, and capitalism, which we can't reject. We have to accept where we're in in our system and like build a system on top that will justify it. The models on top that will justify it. So I'm with you. I want to find soul in it. I think that we still need a good strategy to quantify it so that we justify ourselves. Great. Thank you. Anything else you'd like to add? I really enjoyed talking to you. If anyone is interested in how they can learn to write about their technology skills, maybe if you are an engineer and you've never done this before, I coach people as part of my job at opensource.com. Reach out, open at opensource.com, and uh, I'm happy to work through like learning how to write uh, your open source stories. And even if you are sort of a full-time writer like I often seem to be, I would really encourage people to do this sort of thing because it is a great platform for you to get better known. It's fun to do. At least I find it fun to do. But it's really a way to share, to let other know, others know about your experience as uh, ways to get involved in, in new things. Definitely. Yeah. And we try to make it a a very exciting community to be a part of. So we've got everything from cool swag to really great people we'll connect you with. So yeah, reach out. Thanks, Gordon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Innovate at Open. For future episodes, subscribe to Innovate at Open on your favorite podcast app. You could also go bitmason, B-I-T-M-A-S-O-N, blogspot.com for show notes, blogs, and a full archive of episodes and more. Thank you for listening. This is Gordon Half, Technology Evangelist at Red Hat.